with you this morning. Uh, would you pray with me? Spirit of God, long before we got here this morning, uh, you were here because you are no respect or geography. You're everywhere. Uh, but there's an ex- especially strong sense of your presence anytime your people come together because we are carriers of your DNA. We are carriers of your spirit. And wherever we go, the kingdom of God goes with us. And so uh, we're here this morning uh, representing the kingdom. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing greater than that. And so I pray that, that, that our excitement level would just begin to go through the roof, that you would open our eyes to your presence today, that, that we don't just sing these songs as this perfunctory moment before the teaching of the word, but it is our opportunity to, to really express our heart to you. And I pray this morning that there would be an expectancy that would arise in the room because of something you want to say, something you want to do. God, I pray this morning that, that your spirit would just infuse every word that comes out of my mouth. I've got nothing of value to say apart from you. And so I just receive this morning that your spirit will go before and will implant the word that you want for every person in the room. And this morning, we thank you that we are just a small C part of a bigger C church in this area. We thank you this morning for Faith Bible Church, for Scott Pollock. We thank you that, um, God, you placed in his heart to lead a great church, and we thank you for faith. We thank you that you are growing them uh, in favor in the community, that they are committed to the gospel, and we pray this morning for overflowing parking lots. We pray that people will come into the kingdom through the ministries of Faith Bible bless them in every way, and we thank you that we are great partners with them for the sake of your kingdom. We thank you this morning that Hebrews 4.12 says that every time we open the word, that it is alive and active, that this morning it infects us, and I pray that it would both infect us and affect us as we give ourselves over to the teaching of the word that it would divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that it would judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need our intentions and thoughts judged this morning, Um, not not in a judgmental way because uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but spirit, I pray you would convict us to our core. Speak, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Feels like family today. Uh, It's great to be with you. Uh, in, uh, in 2013, February, I'm sitting in this room, back in that section uh, of the room. Uh, it was a Wednesday night prayer service. Jamie Winship was, was leading us, and he was leading us in this listening prayer exercise. And honestly, I was back in the room about half engaged, and I, I was sitting back there. And as he began to lead us through and I, told us some things to ask God for, He said, ask God what he wants you to know about this moment and then write it down. And as I was praying and asking God what he wanted me to know, the the phrase that came to me was, I'm about to rock your world. So let me just tell you, in 2013, I was was about two and a half years removed from a very hard parting from Wood's Edge. And, And so the last thing I wanted was world rocking. I felt like we were kind of just kind of getting back to a, to a good, settled place. And so I immediately said to God, hey, God, I don't need any more world rocking. And then the next thing he said to me was, this time next year, you'll be living in a different place. So I wrote that down. And now I'm intrigued. 
Now I'm all in. I'm like, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? By the end of that weekend, God had clearly called me to pastor a church and, and plant a church in New York City. So this began this journey of faith, and I'm all stoked. New York City, favorite place on the planet, have no idea why, because every time I walk by P.F. Chang's over in the, uh, in the mall area, and you walk over that grate that's right behind there, and it smells like raw sewage, man, it just warms my heart, right? Because <laughs> I, I think about New York City, I'm like, oh, this is glorious. And so, uh, so there's just been something about New York that has captured my heart. And, and so I was very excited that God had said, plant a church in New York City. So much so that I asked him, what is the first step? If I'm going to do this, God, what's the first step? And what he said to me was, sell your house. I'm like, or a church planning conference would be nice. Never done this before. How about a little bit of uh, education? And he said, no, I want you to sell your house. And so imagine that phone call to call my wife to uh, tell her that God had told me that we needed to sell a house that we had lived in for 12 years. That began a very interesting conversation between me and Yvonne about the question of will we be faithful to whatever he calls us to do? And so after, after some soul searching and praying, um, we finally said yes. We got a realtor involved. They came and looked at the house. And through a series of events before the house ever went on the market, um, the realtor calls and says, I have a buyer for your house. They want to pay cash. You can choose your closing date. They'll pay, pay full price. And I'm like, what in the world? And so because we said yes, God blessed our yes. We sold our house. And now I'm ready. I'm ready for Bright Lights Big City, and, and I'm waiting for step number two, and then God went silent. And, and for six months, we sat in a rental house in Harper's Landing, waiting for the next step. And we're praying, and we're seeking God, and he's silent, and it was frustrating. Have you ever been like that before? Have you ever been in a place where, where God has sent you on this journey, and then it just feels like that everything closes, and you're sitting waiting for the voice of God for what's next? So in January of 2014, I get a phone call from Jeff asking me to consider staying here and planting with Wood's Edge. And I told him, man, that is so flattering. Absolutely not. No, I'm going to New York, baby. And he goes, no, I really feel like that God has, has spoken to me and that you need to plant a church here in the Wood Forest area. And I'm like, bro, I sold my house. How in the world would God have me sell my house and then keep me here? There's no way. And he said, would you just pray about it? And I said, no. I'm like, I am not praying about that. Because you know when the Pope speaks, it's in the law, right? I'm talking about Jeff. And uh, so, so I, I, I waited and I waited. He said, pray for seven days. And on the seventh day, I finally prayed. And as soon as I prayed, God said, this is your next step. And so we were off to the races. We uh, planted restoration in a home in Wood Forest in June of 2014. And uh, fast forward to January of 2018. On New Year's Eve, I was praying, and God said, this is going to be your year of letting go. And so I asked him, let go of what? And so on January 1st, I said, what do I need to let go of today? And he said, remember the vision that I gave you of New York City. Yeah. And I can already feel myself grieving that he's telling me to let go of it because I've been holding on to that, you know, for four years. And he said, Greg, I gave you that vision 
because it represented adventure. I knew if I said pastor at church, you would never do it. And so I put New York City in front of you to propel you into the vision that I had for you. And I'm like, that's pretty sneaky. (laughs) But it all made sense. And this was a journey that I look at now, the most fulfilling thing Yvonne and I have ever been a part of, all started with a yes. And there is a blessing on the other side of your yes. When you say yes to God, when you say yes to something bigger than yourselves, there is something that he will activate in you, something that he will do that is bigger than anything you could ever come up with on your own. So I want to prove that point this morning. In the book of Joshua, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. That's Old Testament. We're going to go full Old Testament today. Joshua, we're going to start at the end of chapter 5 and move into chapter 6 this morning. And I want us to see what happens when a people say yes. Now, when you think about Joshua, let me give you just uh, the first four chapters in a nutshell. In chapter 1, Joshua is taking over for Moses, right? Okay, Moses. Everybody know who Moses is? Moses is like one of the big three. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? It was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. So he's like this pretty stellar leader. And now Joshua, imagine Joshua having to follow in his footsteps. And three times in chapter 1, God says to him, what? Be strong. And courageous. He's telling this guy, he's coaching him up, telling him, there is something that I want to do, something big that I'm going to do through you, and all I need you to do is be strong, courageous, and just keep saying yes to me. And so we see in chapter 2 that he sends these spies into Jericho. And remember Rahab the prostitute? We won't get into that today. But uh, Rahab harbors the spies, protects them, and they come back and they tell uh, Joshua, they say, hey, listen, the fame of God has gone into Jericho and they are scared to death of the people of God. We got to imagine that Joshua kind of bows up a little bit, right? But now he's feeling a little more confident. They're afraid of me, y'all. And so we see in chapter 3 and 4 that now they cross over the Jordan, and that's one of those crazy stories, right, That, that, that the Jordan parts, right? This is the second time that they've walked across on dry ground, and then they they build this altar at Gilgal, these 12 stones commemorating it to God. And so for all of us, we go, okay, the Israelites have arrived. They've gone through 40 years of preparation in the wilderness to become a nation, and now they've moved into their land of promise. And what's the first thing that God tells them to do as they move into the land of promise? Go into battle. For a lot of us, we are looking for that safe place that we can go so that we can rest and say, we have arrived, right? God called me, now I'm here, I can just rest. And know this, the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of rest. It's a kingdom of peace, but not a kingdom of rest. It's not a place for us to sit back. It's a place for us to storm forward in whatever God calls us to do. And step one for this fledgling nation was go in to battle. Go take Jericho. So look at the end of chapter five. It says, 
Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And he did so. So imagine this. They're on their way to Jericho, and as they're marching toward Jericho, there is a commander of the Lord's army. So who is it? It's probably a big honking angel, right? And he's got this drawn sword. And so now here here they come, and, and, and Joshua comes up to him. And what's his question? His question is, are you for us? Are you for them? It would have been nice at that point to hear, of course I'm for you, Joshua. Remember, God's told you to be strong and courageous. I'm for you. No, what did he say? He said, neither. Who am I for? I'm for the Lord. And this is the first thing that I want you to see this morning, that God is for God. God is for God. Now, this, this kind of flies in the face of American Christianity because we've embraced this whole gospel that's all about us. Right? That, that we've said, when I say yes to Jesus, Jesus is going to come in and make my life more compelling. He's going to come into my plan and make my plan better. Know this. Jesus doesn't come in to make your plan better. He comes in to vault you into a new plan. That God is for God. And when you say yes to Jesus, he is vaulting you in to his plan for his sake, for his purposes, for his glory. God is always about his glory. Also, we, we see wherever God is moving is holy ground. So this morning, we're on holy ground. I wonder what it would be like if we really believed that every time we gather in a place like this, that we're on holy ground. Would it change the way you worship? If you really believe this was holy ground, would it change the way that you worship? What would it mean maybe you put your coffee cup down? Maybe you quit worrying about who's on your left or your right. Maybe you quit going, uh, man, I hope they sing a song that I can worship to this morning. You see, for a lot of us, we've, we've misunderstood what it means to worship. Because again, God is for God and worship has never been about you. God is for you, but he's not about you. He is inviting you into something bigger. And worship should be a moment when we come together and we worship him for everything he's done throughout the week. And if you had nothing else to worship about this morning, you are living and breathing. <laughs> Most of you, right? So, so this morning, man, we got to get excited this should be a no-holds-barred place where our arms are in the air and we are singing with reckless abandon because of what God has already done. But God is for God. God has a plan. So look, we move into chapter 6. He says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in 
No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. What? It says that Jericho was firmly secured. He's told them to go and defeat Jericho, but the walls are firmly secure. And what does God say to him? I've already given, I've already given Jericho to you. The battle is yours. The victory is won. And, and here's the second thing I want you to see. What you see as a barrier, God has already called it a victory. What you see as a barrier, God has already called it a victory. Where have you hit a wall in your life? Where are you defeated? Where have you given it? Where have you begun to say, God, you must not be good because you're not giving me what I want? Where is it in your life that you're standing right up against a wall wondering why God hasn't come through for you? You see, what you call a barrier, what you call this huge honking wall, God has already called it a victory. Now, some of you this morning are saying, yeah, bro, you don't know me. You don't know my situation. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's happened. And I want to say this respectfully. I don't have to because I know my God. And I know that my God is able to do above and beyond what you could ever ask or think. And this morning, God is ultimately for God. He will get glory from whatever situation is in your life. And he looks at your barrier and he's already called the win. Why? Because he sees both the wall and what's on the other side of it. Do you realize how short-sighted we are? I mean, we're the most spoiled people on the planet, right? I mean, you pull through McDonald's and the shake machine's broken, and you're like, oh, dear God! <laughs> right? I mean, we're like falling apart at the seams over the dumbest little things. But let's bring it to real world. You've lost your job. Your wife left you. You're a slave to some addiction. You've got a wayward child. This just got real, right? I mean, for a lot of you this morning, you're looking at your life and you're like, where is this great God? Where is God going to get the victory for this thing in my life? And he says, you know, your problem is all you're looking at is the barrier. There is a yes on the other side of your obedience. And I am going to tear down that wall and you will see me in the land of the living on the other side. Something he wants to do. How do I know? Think about Noah in the ark. Joseph in prison. Moses at the burning bush. David and Goliath. Daniel in the lion's den. Esther before the king. Elijah before the prophets of Baal. Even Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Over and over they would say, not my will, but your will. Because what they would see as a barrier, God had already called it a victory. It's all throughout scripture. He sees both the wall and what's on the other side. And then look, God gives him this strategy. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns around, or, or in, the, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times when the priest, with priests blowing the trumpets. 
When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So God gives them this strategy. Once a day for six days, march around the city. On the seventh day, march around seven times, then blow the trumpet, shout, and I'm going to give you the city. That seems very unorthodox, doesn't it? I mean, if it's my plan, let me just tell you how this is going to work. I'm going to need a shovel to dig a hole under the wall because I'm like a little gopher, right? And I'm, I'm going I'm to dig under there, maybe a pickaxe, right? I can put a little hole in the wall, push myself through, and then I'll just get in and open the gate. That seems like a good plan. Maybe I'll get a few ladders and we'll just storm the walls and we'll go up over it. You know, we'll go full Braveheart on them. Maybe I'll get a catapult. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Just flying squirrel. Oh, you know. I mean, all of these things. That's my plan. My plan is, God, I've got a bunch of resources at my disposal here. And our biggest challenge is that we're trying to create our own plan inside of God's plan. That God has a way, he's got a strategy, but because it seems a little crazy, we care too much about our reputation, we care too much about our time, about our resources, and we say, God, I can't give that, I can't move in that, I can't do that because it doesn't make sense to me. Know this, if it seems a little crazy and a little unorthodox, it's probably God. Because God doesn't move in the same ways that we like to move. And if we're only moving in what we see, if we're only moving in our resources, in our ingenuity, just know that's not faith. That's called good eyesight. And faith is the evidence of what we don't see. And any great movement of God is going to require faith to move outside of our own way. Here's the third thing. God has a plan to accomplish his purposes. We see that he's already laid it out, right? He's laid out exactly what to do. And God will never call you to do something that he will not provide a way to accomplish it. So if you feel stuck, if, you've, if you feel called to do something but you feel stuck, it could be that you've dug a hole underneath the wall. You've created a wall with a pickaxe, that you've climbed a ladder to get over in there, and you know where it's gotten you? It's got, gotten you inside the, the city surrounded by your enemies. For a lot of us, we're just trying to make it up on our own and hoping for a better result. And God didn't want you to tunner, tunnel under the wall. He just wants to knock the wall down. That's what he does. And his plan trumps your plan Every time. Every time. Number four, God is always ahead of your victory. Check this out. Verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. So who goes first into the battle? The Lord. The Ark of the Covenant, just to catch you up, it, it's not the Ark that Noah got in. This is actually this coffin-like structure, and inside of it there were three things. 
There was manna that was in a jar, which represented the provision of God as every day. He provided for them when they were in the wilderness. It was the rod of Aaron. Moses' brother had a rod and was leading them while they were in the wilderness. And then there were the Ten Commandments. And these three things were in the Ark of the Covenant, and they carried it around. And everywhere they went, the Ark went out in front of them. Why is that important? It's important because God needs to be out in front of you if you are going to succeed. That means that we need to get really used to the back of Jesus' head. For a lot of us, we are either running beside Jesus, hoping that he doesn't turn left really quick, or we're out in front of him, dragging him along into our adventure when he very well could be saying, hey, bro, get behind me. I've got something that I want to do. I've got a wall that I want to bust through. You'll never get there on your own. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I've got a plan. Get behind me. The way to win is to get in behind Jesus and allow him to lead the way. So unapologetic cowboy fan. And let me, let me drop some stats on you here. In the 90s, the cowboys were, were the team of the decade, right? They won three Super Bowls in four years, and there were two running backs that were really kind of understood as the two best running backs in the league at the time. There was Barry Sanders, and there was Emma Smith. Barry Sanders, way more gifted running back, right? He made, he made something from nothing every time he touched the ball. In fact, um, he took more, uh, more tackles for losses than any other running back of that area, era because he had a horrible offensive line, but he would make something out of nothing. He would run around and scat out. He was incredible. But guess who owns the record for the most yards in NFL history? Emmitt Smith, a less gifted runner, but you know what he did? He got him behind this mammoth offensive line and, and no one would touch him before like four yards. He averaged four yards a carry before he was ever touched. If you're not into football, that's good, right? That's a good thing. So what does that say? It says that the most gifted runner may not be on the best team. That your mad skills may not be what gets it done. What would it be like if we woke up and realized that God has given you everything that you have on loan? That James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift has been given to us by the Father of lights. That means that anything good in your life, you did not create it. Some of you this morning, maybe you've got a great bank account, you've been a great investor, and you sit today with your chest puffed up, and you say, look at me, look how great I am. Know this, you only have the money you have to be a blessing for the kingdom of God. He has given it to you on loan. It is not yours. Uh-oh. Your mad skills have not gotten you where you are. Actually, for a lot of us, our mad skills have gotten us exactly where we are because we're inside this, this prison surrounded by our enemies because of our own decisions. God is always ahead of your victory. If you want to win, get in behind Jesus, period. There's no other way. It's not Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus. He's always ahead of your victory. Number five, obedience is not optional. What? Come on. Verse 11, 
So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then the priest, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord with the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Obedience is not optional. So let's just think about this story. What if they attacked on day five? What if on day five they're like, uh, God, let's call it good. Right? What if they blew the trumpets on day three? What if they shouted to God on day six? You see, for a lot of us, we're, we're ends justify the means people. Right? It's like, God, I carried out most of your plan. Some of you felt called by God to do something, and you stepped out, and then it didn't happen fast enough for you, and so you've taken matters into your own hands, and you're frustrated because the result is not what you hoped for. Whose fault is that? And a lot of us are scared to death to ask God what's next because we really don't want to know the answer. And, and we're, we're really good at looking out there and looking at everything that's wrong and we've assigned blame to God instead of blessing. We say, God, why haven't you blessed me? And God says, why haven't you obeyed me? I hear a lot of people crying for deep teaching. And I just always think to myself, hey, that's awesome. What are you doing with what you already know? Because for a lot of us, I mean, we, we hear this term a lot in the church, radical obedience. <laughs> that just cracks me up. It's like there's two levels of obedience, right? Well, you can obey me or you can really obey me. Here's the thing. The reason we call it radical obedience is because so few people do it. That today, I think if we would realize it's only a radical concept because we are so comfortable in what we call Christianity that it's like Jesus has a starter kit. Hey, if you want to follow me, you know, just kind of follow me every once in a while. But if you really want to follow me, then hate your father, brother, sister, mother, die to yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Is that what he said? No. You either follow Jesus or you don't. And I think it's time for us to wake up and realize that the reason there are a lot of dead churches around America is because we will not simply obey what we hear and obey what we know. And we're not willing to live into a bigger story. We get to a certain place and we call it good. And Jesus says to you today, obedience isn't optional. You want a plan? I'll give you a plan. And then all I'm asking you to do is follow the plan. Follow the plan and you will win. Alter the plan and you will lose. There's no third option. Man, I'm out of shape, y'all. <laughs> Number six, your obedience activates the power of God. Your obedience activates the power, the power of God. So um, this doesn't mean that you're God in God's hand. No, God, God doesn't need you in order to accomplish his purposes. But know this, when you obey, he is so drawn to obedience, he is so drawn to dependence that he jumps all over whatever's going on in your life. Look at verse 15. We're coming in for a landing here. 
On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I think that is so profound that he tells them, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Had the wall fallen yet? No. The wall was still fully erected and they've gone around seven times. The trumpet blows. He says, shout for the Lord has given you the city. What that says to me is praise precedes breakthrough. Praise precedes breakthrough. That we've got to look at this and, and, and realize that there is something that God is doing and we need to worship him before the end result is sure. For a lot of us, we are withholding our praise, we're withholding our, our adoration until God comes through for us in some way. And God says, if you can't praise me in the storm, Amos 5, he says, away with the noise of your songs. God is not interested in your worship after everything works out. That is so conditional. He's saying in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your misunderstanding, in the middle of this barrier, I want you to march around it and I want you to stand in front and I want you to worship me at the top of your lungs saying, God, you have delivered this city to me. The wall will fall. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the wall is going to fall in your life? Wood's Edge. This needs to be a place of reckless abandon that every time you come together, you're coming together believing that the wall will fall in your life. That you will go ahead and call it victory in the name of Jesus and you come and you worship him with the whole heart and know that the world is watching. The world is watching you as you go through your struggle, as you go through your pain, because what they're saying is, I go through that too, and if you don't look any different than me and how you deal with it, who is your God? We've got to show them that we trust in a big God, that I will worship no matter what. How do we know? He's done it before, he'll do it again. He's a cloud by day, fire by night, God. He's the one who part, parted the Red Sea, who parted the Jordan, who gave manna from heaven. He is the one, if you will look, if you will look back in your life, he is the one who has come through before. And if he's done it before, he'll do it again. And even if you don't have anything that you can call victory in your life, look around you. There are people of faith that, that have said yes, and the blessing has come, and begin to follow that formula. Yes activates obedience, and your obedience activates the power of God. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for Wood's Edge? Three things. Number one, everything is funneled through the glory of God. Everything. We've got to be people that quit asking the why questions. God, why is this happening to me? Why are things not working out? Why, why, why? Anybody ever ask that question? Hello. And here's the question we begin asking. What will bring God the most glory in this situation? 
We've got to begin to look for how we can bring God glory for our life in the best situations and in the worst. God, what will bring you the most glory right now? And if we will begin to ask that question, God will begin to speak and then we move in whatever he tells us. In the middle of business dealings, marital strife, relational unrest, addiction struggle, God's glory is the pathway to freedom and the pathway to healing. When he gets the glory, life is just better. Number two, God has a plan for breakthrough for anything and everything in your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever's going in your life, God has a plan for breakthrough. When you come up against a wall, when you come up against a barrier and you can't see on the other side of it, you begin to pray, God, what will bring you the most glory in this situation? Will you show me the victory on the other side of it? Will you show me the plan for overcoming this barrier? How is it that you want to break down this wall? And then you wait for God to move. You get in behind him and you allow him to show you. And then number three, finally, God's blessing and demonstration of power is on the other side of your obedience. God's blessing is on the other side of your yes. The question this morning is what would it be like? What would this church be like if there were a bunch of yes men in the room? Not yes men to each other, but yes men to Jesus. To say, Jesus, I don't have the answers, but I know you do. I will say yes to you, whatever you say and whatever way you want to say it. The question becomes, how badly do you want breakthrough? How badly do you want to see the kingdom of God fully utilized in your life? Breakthrough is yours for the taking but it all is funneled through the glory of God and through the power of yes. And so Jesus this morning, um, we see this example in Joshua 6. We see that the walls fell down, that they went in and they plundered their enemies, but it was not because of their game plan, but because of yours. And we thank you that you call us into the unknown. You call us in to, to, to the places that we really don't like to go because we want a firm plan. We, we want to be in control. But I thank you that there is incredible blessing on the other side of our yes. And if we will get in behind you, if we will listen and allow you to lead us, you will do the supernatural. And I pray you would forgive us that we say we want the supernatural, but we settle for the natural every day. And that there's something more that you're calling us to. Maybe this morning your first yes is to Jesus. Maybe you've been religious your whole life. Maybe you would even say, man, I've been a Christian most of my life. But you would also say, I've never heard the voice of God before. This morning, maybe you would say, I want the voice of God activated in my life. And I know that it's through the power of saying yes to Jesus. And this morning, you would say, Jesus, I transfer my trust from my life, my plan, my way, to your life, your plan, and your way. And I receive you as the leader of my life. And I want to walk away from this old life. It doesn't work. And I want to move in what you're doing. Just know the minute you do that, the spirit of Jesus will come and begin to lead you and guide you. And the more you press in and listen to his voice, he will lead you to the path to win. 
For the rest of us, we need to allow God to define the win for us. What does winning look like in the kingdom of God for us? Because I'll guarantee you that God's view of winning looks very different from your view of winning. That there's something that he wants to do in and through you that is for his glory and his purposes and we need to get in line with that and get behind him. And so Jesus, for the rest of us, I pray that we would be studious in the way that we study you, that we follow you, that we get in behind you, we listen for your voice, we allow you to strategize on our behalf and then we watch you move and we watch you break down the walls wherever they are, whatever they are. And we will be undeterred As we move to a time of response this morning, we thank you, Jesus, that your yes was a cross. That your yes was a broken body with spilled blood, and it was all for the sake of freedom and healing, to restore us to the place we were supposed to be. And every time we take these elements, every time we come to your table, we remember you saying, not my will, but your will. And maybe that's what we would pray this morning as we gather together with our family, with our friends, as we take the elements. That we would say, God, today, it is no longer my will, no longer my plan, no longer my agenda, but yours. Lead me into whatever's next. So I'm going to invite you all over the room. There are communion elements. You can find a table near you. Come to the table of the Lord. Receive the elements And remember Jesus, the one who made it possible for you to sit in this seat this morning, the one who opens our eyes to the spiritual battle around us, the one who leads us into a life of adventure if we'll let him. So let's stand together, let's take the elements, and then we'll worship and close together in a moment.